The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlay from the National Prayer Chapel. I have spent the last two days in a courtroom testifying on behalf of a Christian mother who is fighting for the custody of her son, Kai. He'll be six years old in this coming September. The father is a Hindu. Sitting outside of the courtroom, the grandfather 
has been reading his Hindu prayer book with curses and binding. Now this dear woman and her son, Kai, need to have absolute deliverance and she needs to have custody to raise this young man as a Christian. She was not a Christian when she had this child. She had completely left the Lord. He was born out of wedlock. And I am praying for full redemption for her and for this little one. I know that God's hand rules heaven and earth, and he will determine the outcome of this trial. There are no accidents or chances. God is in charge. He counts even the hairs of our head. Did you know today that God is in charge of all things in your life? Don't walk in unbelief. Walk in absolute trust. God knows your situation. And he says, wait upon me. Trust me. I'm working everything out for my glory. There is a war going on. But as I'll share in a few minutes out of the scriptures, even the devil belongs to the Lord God of heaven. Did you know that? For some reason, I have thought in the past that the devil broke away from God and now he was an independent operator. Not true. The devil is the property of Almighty God, and he is subject to the commands of Almighty God. Now, he's been given a great deal of latitude to exercise his rebellion, but in the end, he will bow his knee before God Almighty and acknowledge the sovereignty of our Father who is in heaven. Your life is under the sovereign hand of God. You are not on your own to make whatever choices and decisions you think you might happen to want to make. Because if you function that way, you side with the devil in rebellion against the Almighty Father. Now, I don't like the way things always work out. But I lift my hands in submission and praise to Jesus because he's the one who is working all things out according to his will and for his glory. And in the end, we don't understand today, but in the end, we acknowledge that his way is best. If we could see the end from the beginning of our lives, we would kneel before the Father and acknowledge that he led us in the very best way. And all that transpired out of our rebellion, out of our sinful ways, the Lord was countering and drawing us to himself. One of the lessons that I've learned, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. We only learn when we suffer. I don't like that. I, The bristles of my, my hair go up about that. But I know it's true. That's why I lift my hands regardless of the suffering and the anguish of my heart. And I say, Lord, I trust you. This morning in the early hours in my prayer closet, I was praising Jesus for circumstances that for me are very painful and very difficult right now. I can't tell you what they are because then you might be prompted to try to do something and I don't want you to do something. I'm waiting upon Jesus to do something. And so I've lifted my hands before the Lord and praised his mighty name in the midst of my difficulty, I say, Lord, you are sovereign, and I am 
honored to wait upon you. Psalm 27, wait upon the Lord. It's an honor to wait upon Jesus. In the midst of the most painful times, it's an honor to wait upon the Master, upon the Lord, upon the God of heaven and earth, who has everything already worked out. His plan is being carried forth. At this very moment, his plan is being carried forth. I'm going to ask you now, would you pray with me for Lisa and Kai? Would you pray with me and agree with me that God's will will be done and that the Hindu gods will be utterly defeated and shamed, brought to total confusion before our master Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I come to pray for Lisa and for Kai. And I am standing by faith with my brothers and sisters who are now lifting their hands with me. And I'm saying, Lord, we trust you to work out what is the very best for Lisa and for Kai and for this Hindu man and grandfather. Lord, accomplish your purpose in this. Do not let the enemy have his way but defeat him on the right and on the left. And in the name of Jesus, we claim the victory today in that courtroom as they will make the final decision this afternoon about who will have custody of this child. Lord, I thank you. Lord, would you strengthen Bob Dane, the wonderful attorney who is representing Lisa. Lord, strengthen him. Give him the words to speak and the courage to speak them. Lord, we trust you now. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. And I want to thank those of you who went to the GoFundMe page. It's going to be a very expensive attorney's bill. Probably in the end, it's going to be close to $30,000 for this defense. But the Lord is in charge of money. Some of you have gone. One man gave $1,000, one of our precious listeners. Thank you. And thank each of you who, who went to that page and contributed. Well, let's turn to the word now. This story today I am calling Esther's Triumph. Esther's Triumph. The story of Esther fills my heart with joy. It is a prophecy and a parable. It is a prophecy in the sense that it is prophesying that God's hand is always behind every part of our lives. Unseen, perhaps. Even unknown, perhaps. But everything is being controlled by his hand. He is in charge of the earth. He is the creator. He is the owner of all things. That's what's being shared with us in the story of Esther. A parable. It tells us that Almighty God has your life in his hands. He knows today if you're lonely, if you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're hurting. He knows if your family is in a very difficult place. God knows everything. In this parable, we learn, obey the word of the Lord as it comes to you and wait upon him for that word. Now, in way of review, because this is our third day on this subject, Queen Esther is Hadessa. She has been adopted by her uncle Mordecai. They live in captivity in Xerxes' kingdom. Xerxes is the Medo-Persian. It is the most powerful empire in the world. King Xerxes' word is, 
is law for life or for death. He is the absolute ruler of the earth. He throws a six-month banquet to show off all of his wealth and his glory. People drink whatever they want to drink. After the six months of party time is over, he then has a shorter period of time where he gives a banquet just for his people, just for his people who live around and serve him. It's a week long. And at the end of the week of this beautiful banquet, he calls for Queen Vashti to come. She is also throwing a party at the king's palace for all of the women. He calls for Queen Vashti to come. Now there's disagreement on on what's happening here. Some commentators say that he demanded that she show up in the nude with just her crown on. I don't know. Whatever it is, Queen Vashti refused to come. She did not want to be shown off in front of these drunken men. And so she is a bit of a hero for the women's lib movement because she rejected her husband's command. Queen Xerxes is very angry about this. His counselors say, remove her as queen and install another woman. And that's what happened. She was forbidden to ever come into his presence again. If she did, she would die. And so now a search is made throughout the kingdom, and the most beautiful women are chosen to be a part of the king's harem. Now this is literally being imprisoned in the palace for the rest of their lives. And they serve cleaning the palace, doing whatever needs to be done, and the harem is large. Now, Queen Esther, or Esther as she's now called in the story, is swept up. Hadessa was her Hebrew name. She is swept up in this roundup of beautiful women. She was a very, very beautiful maiden, virgin. And so she's taken to the king's palace, and there she's to be given beauty treatments for a year. Taught how to dress, taught all the courtesies of the palace. She does not tell them that she's Jewish. Mordecai has said, do not speak of it. And so she doesn't give her nationality. And now she has been granted favor by the eunuchs who are in charge. And they send Esther to the king. Now, he is very, very pleased with her, more pleased with her than with any of the other women. She is humble. She is gorgeous. And she is pleasant. She doesn't have a bad attitude. She's not angry. Now, she has every reason to be angry. She has been swept away from the uncle she loves back to Jerusalem. But she is now a captive. She's in prison, albeit an elegant prison. Now, Esther has a very pleasing attitude. She's not bitter. She's not angry. She's not demanding for herself. She cares. One of the ugliest things I see in people is this lack of humility and this demand that things have to be their way or it's a highway. This woman was smart. She was educated. She had everything going for her. And now 
she's to go in before the king and go to bed with him for the night. And if the king is pleased with her, he'll call for her again, or he can make her the queen. The scriptures tell us that she went in, she pleased the king more than any of the other women, and then she was made queen. They held a great banquet. Uh, The scriptures say, Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head. He made her queen instead of Ashtai. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all of his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Now, Mordecai is very concerned about Esther. And he goes every day to the king's gate to find out any news regarding how Esther is doing. Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, and two of the king's security officials who guarded the door became very angry with King Xerxes and determined that they were going to They were going to kill him. They were going to assassinate him. Well, immediately, this was reported to Queen Esther. Queen Esther, in turn, told the king and said it was Mordecai who gave her that information. Now, I said this in an earlier broadcast, but let me highlight this. She could have given the information to the king and said it was her special network of spies that found out, and then she would be lifted up in the eyes of the king. That was not how her heart functioned. She was not there for self-advantage. And so she said it was Mordecai who told her. And so this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. Now, after these events, King Xerxes honors Haman. Haman is an agite. He is an enemy of the children of God. The Amalekites tried to destroy the Israelites. God commanded that they be killed by King Saul. But this man, his family escaped some way. So the royal officials at the gate, saw that Mordecai would not bow to this man, Haman. And it made Haman furious. And he decided not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. Now, God's hand is moving in all of this. Everything I've told you to this point, it was God's hand moving behind the scenes. This is not an accident that Esther was brought in and granted favor and made the queen. This was God moving, and nobody knew it was God moving. You may not know it is God moving in your life, and you may think you're being taken as a slave to something. But God is in. God is involved. God has a plan for your life. And when that plan is completed, he's going to take you home with him. If you have walked in righteousness if you're clean before God, if all the sin has been removed by the blood of Jesus and you've walked clean with Jesus, you have a place for eternity with him. I rejoice so in this. I rejoice so much in my place in Jesus, my Lord. I love him. I trust him. I want to spend eternity with him and with his people. So the idea is hatched. He's going to kill all of the Jews. And Haman goes to King Xerxes. He describes a certain people. And he says, 
They don't obey the king's orders and they don't keep his laws. They serve a different God. You should not tolerate them. Now he said, I'm willing to put 375 tons of silver into your treasury if you'll let me have my way and destroy these people. So the king takes his signet ring. He gives it to Haman. says, Haman, do as you please. And so Haman does as he please. And he sends couriers all over Xerxes' world that on a certain day, the Jews are to be plundered and killed. Men, women, and children wipe them out. Mordecai learned about this, and he began to weep bitterly. He put sackcloth and ashes on. He went out into the in the courtyard, the close to the king's gate. He couldn't enter the king's gate dressed this way. He's weeping. He's wailing. King Esther has brought the report that Mordecai is on his face weeping throwing dust on his head. So Esther summons one of the king's eunuchs and says, please go find out what's the problem with Mordecai. Mordecai tells him, gives him a copy of the text of the edict and urges her to go to the king and ask for deliverance. But Queen Esther replies, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, and that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. You don't know what you're asking, Mordecai. If I go before the king, I could die. Well, these words are reported to Mordecai, and he writes back or says back to her, Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish And who knows but what you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Yes, she has come to royal position for this time. God has this all planned out. It's hard to see it from her perspective. So Queen Esther sends this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went away, and he carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now suddenly we see the strength of Esther as she finally steps forward and says, if I perish, I perish. Do you hear that? We have been called in the same manner. When we submit to the will of God, it's not a walk in the park. It's going to involve some pain. It's going to involve our absolute giving of ourselves to the Lord God of heaven and saying, if I perish, I perish. But I am going to serve Jesus. I am not going to compromise. I'm not going to turn back. If I lose my job, I lose my job. If I perish, I perish. If I'm forced out of my house, it's okay. If I'm homeless, it's okay. If I die, it's okay. I will serve Jesus. That's what we're called to. That's what a Christian is. A Christ follower. Now on the third day, Queen Esther puts on her royal robes. And I'm sure with 
great fear and trembling. She goes to the inner court of the royal palace that's directly in front of the king's hall. She doesn't know if she will be executed immediately or if she will be granted favor. When the king looks out, because he can see from his throne, and he sees Esther standing in the court, his heart is pleased. He holds out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand, sparing her life. So Queen Esther approached and touched the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come tomorrow to a banquet that I have prepared for them. Oh, Jesus has set the trap. Now, she didn't come up with this plan by herself. She came up with this plan out of three days of fasting and prayer where she could hear the word of God to her, the rhema word of God. I'm sure initially when the Lord said to her, invite the king and Haman, she must have thought, no, I can't do that. How can I treat Haman with kindness and courtesy? The Lord said, do it. The Lord is working out his plan. There are times when God will tell us to do something that seems utterly foolish but he's calling us to do it. When the word of God comes to you, give this, go here, do that, obey quickly. The Holy Spirit's voice will be silenced in your life if you rebel and do not do what he calls you to do. But if you do what he tells you, you will be strengthened. You will be encouraged and God will meet you. So the king says, look, go get Haman right now. This banquet is being served. I want to go eat with Esther. So the king and Haman go to the banquet with Esther. They're drinking wine at the banquet. And after the meal is over, and the king is happy, he says to Esther, okay, now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. That's what they said when they really wanted to show favor to somebody. And Esther replies, in the culture of that day, she says, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if, he ple- and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. She's being very, very polite. In that culture, you don't just blurt out what you want. You wait. You go a second time, and you ask again. So Haman goes home. He's happy. He's being honored by both the king and the queen. He's the only one invited to this banquet. But as he's going out of the palace, he sees Mordecai at the king's gate, who does not bow down to him, doesn't even acknowledge his presence, and he's filled with rage against Mordecai. So he goes home, and he calls his together, and his wife, and he boasts to them about his mighty wealth, about his power, about how the way the king has honored him. He boasts about his being elevated above all the other nobles and officials. And then he adds, I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. She has invited me along with the king again tomorrow. He is so puffed up and so happy. He is the man honored above all other men. 
He doesn't know that God has trapped him. You see, sometimes it looks like we're on the bottom and the enemy has gained the upper hand. We're being wiped out. We don't have what we need to have. Everything is looking very, very dark. God has a plan. Trust him with his plan. Don't quit. Sometimes when everything has looked very dark, I've wanted to quit. And then the Lord comes in the strength of the Holy Spirit and says, I have a plan for your life. Don't quit. Remember what he said to Joshua? Be strong and of great courage. I want to say that to you today. I almost named this broadcast. Be strong and of great courage. Don't quit. Let God work out his plan in your life. And then Mordecai talks to us, or Haman talks to his friends. He says, but all of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting there at the king's gate. And the wife and the friends say, don't worry about it. Just have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go to the king with the dinner with Esther and be happy. So he's delighted. He immediately orders the workmen to go to work to build a 75-foot hanging place for Mordecai. That thing was visible all over town. That night, the Lord's hand begins to intervene again. He can't sleep. The king can't sleep. So he tosses and turns. And finally he says, Look, bring bring into me the chronicles. I want to read some chronicles. I want to know what's happening. So in that, they read to him about Mordecai and revealing the assassination attempt against the king. And Xerxes asked, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Nothing has been done for him, the attendant answered. And the king says, well, who's in the court? This is the early hours of the morning. He hasn't been asleep all night. He's been troubled. Oh, I love it when God troubles us. He wants us to pray, to cry out to him. So the attendant looks, and Haman has just entered the court to ask for Mordecai's life, to hang him on the gallows. Well, the king said to Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? He's so full of himself, he's sure that he is the one the king would desire to honor. Pardon me. And the king answers, have them bring a royal robe. You do everything for him, you're saying. So Haman wants the royal robe brought, a horse with a royal crest on it. He wants to be ridden and led all over town with a crier saying, this is the man the king desires to honor. He He wants Susa to see this. But then the king says, Go at once, get the robe, get the horse, do as you have suggested. For Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you've recommended. And suddenly Haman is broken. God's hand has begun to close the trap. This is the triumph of Esther. Haman, knowing that he will lose his position of honor if he does not quickly obey, in fact, he knows he'll lose his life if he does not quickly obey. So he robes Mordecai. He rides him through the city streets, proclaiming before him, 
This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. This this isn't important to Mordecai. He goes back sitting at the king's gate like he was before it was done. But Haman, he rushes home. His head is covered in grief. He tells his friends and his wife what has happened. And they say, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And while they're saying this to him, the eunuchs from the king arrive to take him to the banquet with Queen Esther. So the king and Haman, in Esther the seventh chapter, dine with Queen Esther. And as they're drinking wine on the second day, the king asks Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And Queen Queen Esther answers, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would be justified before the king. King Xerxes, very upset, says to the queen, Who is he? Where is the man? who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther answers, The adversary and the enemy is this vile Haman. Haman is now terrified before the king and the queen. The king got up in a rage, and he left his wine, and he went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king has already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returns from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman is falling on Esther where she is reclining. And the king exclaims, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as that word left the king's mouth, the guards covered Haman's face. They put a bag over his face. And when one of the eunuchs attending the king said, the gallows 75 feet high stand by Haman's house, he made it for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. And the king says, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. And Queen Esther has her victory. Do you see the very clever trap that God set for Haman. Now it looked like he was being honored above all men. It looked like Esther was going to die and that Mordecai was going to die. But God set a trap. And Haman in his pride and arrogance was caught in that trap. It's God who rules. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. It's found in the book of Job. It's found in the book of Job. Job, the 12th chapter. We have just a few minutes left in this broadcast. I want to share this with you as we conclude. This is Job speaking to his friends. Job, the 12th chapter. I'll begin in verse 10. 
in his hand, that's in the Lord God of heaven's hand, is the life of every creature and the breath, the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles and that are put on by kings, and he ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisers and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. God is in charge. It says both the deceived and the deceiver. In other words, every ungodly man and Satan. He owns them. He owns everything in the world. It all belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. He has a plan for your life. If you will submit to him, he will grant you forgiveness of sin. If you will remove all excuses for walking in rebellion, if you will not say, Oh, I can't help myself. I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace. That's a lie. Sinners are not saved by grace. Sinners are made righteous. And then they're saved by grace. They're justified before the Lord, not by imputed righteousness. They're saved before the Lord by imparted righteousness. God has a plan. He's working out that plan in your life and in my life. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's following his plan. And as you pray, you cry out to God. He will stop the judgments from falling on your life. And he will bring you into those pleasant pastures spoken of in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters mean I'm not afraid to drink. The mighty God of heaven has you in his hand. Now, in your arrogance, you can be like Haman. And you can say, oh, I'll go do what I want to do. I'm in charge of my life. Life before me is a bowl of cherries. It may end up being a bowl of pits. If you do it your way. The wealthy fade away and they die like all other men. The powerful fade away like all other men and die. And then they face the judgment of God for eternity. Today, do you need the hand of God to rescue you from a place of rebellion against him? Do you need the love 
and mercy and blessing of Jesus to wash and cleanse you and make you whole. Do you see the hand of God as it has moved in your life? I spoke to a man heavy into drugs, had done every wicked thing. The Lord saved him so graciously and so powerfully, and his testimony later was many times in my sin. I would come to a place where I was going to die or I was going to be arrested, and I cried out to God, and he saved me. Wherever you are today, if you're a drug addict, if you're a thief, if you're a liar, if you're a cheater, whatever you are, if you're a drugger, the Lord can save you. If you're a self-righteous hypocrite, full of yourself and full of pride, arrogance, strutting around, God wants to save you. He loves you. The day will come when all the proud are cast down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you one of those arrogant men or women thinking that you can run your own life and that you can make this decision? You can divorce, you can marry, you can go get this job, you can do that, you can... Do you think you can do that on your own? And then have the blessing of God? Many religious people at the end are going to say, look what I did. Look at all the wonderful things I accomplished. And the Lord's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. I'm so glad you've listened. I pray you've been encouraged. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I pray today that your heart has been made tender before Almighty God, Oh, Jesus, I pray for every person who's listened. Would you rescue those today who are in great trauma and difficulty? And will you humble those who are arrogant and proud before you? Lord, let your will be accomplished on earth, even as it is in heaven. Have your way now. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and thank you, brothers and sisters, who've gone to that page and given. And thank you for the letters that I've received just this week. Thank you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy, with great joy, now unto from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with Jesus Christ alone.